January 6th, 2021 was one of the darkest days in American history. A mob of supporters of President Donald Trump stormed the U.S. Capitol because they believed the president's lies about the election. The People's House was violated by people who aren't willing to participate in democracy. For the first time in years, the San Diego Union-Tribune published a front-page editorial condemning these insurrectionists and the president. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Matthew Hall, you're the opinion director for the San Diego Union-Tribune, and as I said, it's not every day that there's a front-page editorial. Uh, Can you walk us through the decision-making that went to this publication? Yeah, definitely. I mean, just as context, I've been in this job for a little over five years. This is only the second time we've ever had a front-page editorial uh, on my watch. There there were others, famous ones, uh, before I came on in the UT. Uh, The first one on on my watch was when the Chargers left for Los Angeles, and we said good riddance. Um, So I guess this is one in an occasional series of good riddance editorials because um, that was a theme of this. Um, Look, everyone who who began watching uh, the chaos unfolds in Washington, D.C., knew that it was a historic day. People were saying that the Capitol hadn't been breached since 1814 under far different circumstances. Uh, And there were a lot of people saying, well, this couldn't happen here. And clearly it did. So we thought it was a huge uh, uh, historic day. And so our editorial was going to reflect that. You know, uh, early afternoon, I reached out to um, the editor and publisher, Jeff Light, and said, would you consider putting this on the front page? Which is honestly, it's a request. uh, It's a request I've only ever made twice. I I don't, I I think there are certain circumstances where you want to put up an editorial on the front page. But for those watching who are curious about the division of um, uh, space and, and duty between a news section and an opinion section. The reason why we're having this conversation today that it's so rare is that there is a reason why the news side, unbiased journalists reporting things down the middle, uh, are separated from the opinion section where we are, we follow the same standards in terms of, you know, making sure our reporting is accurate and fair uh, to all. But in the end, we have an opinion. And so it's that opinion that is relegated to the opinion section to maintain um, the, 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 that separation in a news organization. There are certain situations like yesterday where um, people, myself and Jeff, um, made a decision to kind of break that wall. And so, you know, his, his, when I first asked him, he's like, well, you know, let's write it and take a look. And we basically wrote it onto the front page. It was a huge, a huge uh, situation, a huge story. And I think our editorial took, you know, I'm biased. Uh, took the right approach uh, for, for the matter at hand. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot you could have said with this editorial, just the sheer gravity of what happened and the fallout that's still happening right now. How did you guys choose what to say? Can you walk us through the arguments that you settled on? Yeah, great question. Uh, and it evolved throughout the day, but we knew early on, you know, at first we were going to, we are in our first morning conversation, we talked about how, the day might have gone uh, under different circumstances where there was going to be what should have been a kind of a pro forma vote to ratify uh, uh, the election. Um, But because that didn't happen and we knew that Trump was inciting something, we weren't sure that it would materialize into the chaotic riot that it became. Um, We knew that the editorial early on would be framed as Trump was having a bad week. You know, he went off on the Georgian uh, Secretary of State in this phone call lasted an hour where he talks for three quarters of it and, um, you know, 
tries to play the part of the Godfather to get this guy to, to do him a favor. Um, and then obviously Georgia, the Georgia results uh, came in and, and are a direct reflection on him and his inane, inaccurate, uh, awful uh, lies about the election system. Um, and, and so we were ready to write an editorial using those two prongs and whatever happened yesterday uh, to, to, to criticize the president and to point out again that the election system, while it has some problems, they are nowhere near the scale, scope, um, or, or standing that, that Donald Trump has alleged. So we watched this, this chaos throughout the day, and then it evolved. And then it became, oh, my God, there's you know, insurrectionists climbing um, um, parts of the Capitol and putting their feet on desks in the Capitol that they have no right uh, doing that. And so... You know, and then the, a, a woman was shot and killed, and so it became this real, serious, deadly situation. And so our editorial then became, you know, what it evolved into, which is criticizing the president, saying that yesterday cements his reputation, which a lot of people said he already had had cemented as the worst president of all time. Um, also criticizing the enablers that allowed yesterday to happen by not holding. Um, firm uh, against the president. And also it, it ended kind of on a note, I think, where Biden hit all the right notes yesterday. He, he setting even aside politics, in a moment like that, you want someone to sound presidential. And and, and Joe Biden said everything, uh, in my opinion, that you want a president to say, even by ending uh, his remarks, saying, I apologize for taking so long to talk to you. So he went out before the president, actually issued an apology, and so that by the time the president uh, rolled out and he told people to go home, but by the way, you're great people and I love you, um, that just added to uh, the 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 um, ridiculousness uh, and and the um, kind of insanity of the day. Mm -hmm. It does feel like for the past five years, it's almost like we're playing a game of chicken with democracy and, you know, we are journalists. We're on the side of the First Amendment. We haven't been provoked in this way ever before. And it's almost like we don't quite have the language to counter these anti-democratic actions from government and from a large swath of the American public that we're truly in uncharted territory right now. Yeah, that's a very good point. And a large part of yesterday. So the, the other hat that I, that I wear, uh, a prominent hat I wear in journalism, in addition to being the director of the opinion section at the UT, is as the National uh, Society of Professional Journalists president. And so there are conversations that I was following on social media and that I was having uh, at, at, with our headquarters about how to offer advice to journalists on labels and languaging. You, you had what people might have called a protest clearly transcended a protest. It ended up being a riot. It ended up being a mob. It ended up being uh, insurrectionists was another common uh, framing. Uh, all pro-Trump, uh, by the way. So how we framed it, what words people chose in headlines was big discussions yesterday and continues today where some people are, are, are criticizing us and others for not going far enough in our headlines, uh, not going far enough in our editorial. There are others who think that we nailed it. So the discussion of not only the premise of the editorial, but the words in it and the headline above it and even the headline that was stripped across uh, in, in big letters uh, our front page are all subject to dispute. In the end, I think you are onto something that when history looks back on this and even people are doing it now, it, it will record that 
in many ways, people weren't up to the challenge of the Trump presidency. We spent two years trying to figure out whether he was a liar. Um, and then it became clear that he was. We spent years deciding whether he was a racist or whether he was making racist comments. And then people felt more comfortable uh, saying either or both of those things. So, you know, uh, language evolves, but language is also permanent, right? That's what print is 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 there for all to, to, to see. Some people may frame, I may be one of them, frame today's front page uh, and, and hang it up in a house um, because it is a historic moment and it will be remembered uh, for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. The first line of the editorial says that yesterday was the day that democracy died. Can you unpack that argument? Yeah, I think you have the very first president of the United States, George Washington, um, voluntarily left the office after two terms. Imagine that. You are the leader of a new nation. And you say, you know what? It's better for the nation if I leave. John Adams, the second president, left under darkness, under the cover of darkness, the night before his successor, Thomas Jefferson's uh, inauguration. So he voluntarily left the position so Thomas Jefferson could be sworn in. Peaceful transfer of power. Anyone who knows history knows that those two uh, uh, presidents were rivals. And so that was the first time where someone said, you know what, I'm going to let this person beat me in an election, even though I really wanted it, even though I didn't like this person, I'm going to give that person the office. And through the course of history from the late 1790s through 2021, that transfer of power happened peacefully without exception until yesterday when 14 days before Joe Biden will be inaugurated and he will be inaugurated. Um, At at Donald Trump's incitement, there was someone killed, um, shot and killed uh, in the Capitol. People stormed the Capitol, behaved super inappropriately. um, And that is what we meant by democracy died. It was a it was a it was a pivotal moment that should never be forgotten in our history. And anyone who says from here on out it could never happen here, you know what? It could happen here. And in fact, if you go back, a lot of people said in 2016 that this was a possibility. Even in our endorsement of Hillary Clinton over Donald Trump in the 2016 election, we said he could be our nation's Hugo Chavez. He could lead us on a path. Uh, that we're unprepared to take and and shouldn't be on. And lo and behold, here we are. Mm-hmm. And at this point, uh, we're seeing the fruits of conspiracy theories being born here. At what point can civil society no longer tolerate people who won't accept truth? Because, you know, you have this mass delusion of QAnon and other conspiracy theories that were clearly a large part of what happened yesterday. Yeah. Think about also how that has changed in four years. Six, uh, four years ago, we were talking about truthiness and Stephen Colbert and joking how student, Stephen Colbert had coined something. Then it became the proliferation of fake news. And then it became something even darker, which is we all know how to pronounce QAnon now. Um, we all know what happened with Pizzagate and how this absolute insane story, totally fabricated, led someone with a gun to go there. And luckily, no one was hurt in that incident. But here we have, you know, uh, followers of QAnon and others um, really causing problems. And I think, you know, there's a lot of to unpack in, in, in that issue and that problem. And it's a real problem. I think it um, evolves from social media and, you know, um, uh, 
the social media gurus and, and owners of uh, these major companies, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Google, et cetera, um, not policing it as much as they should. I think they're, they, they learned that they needed to crack down on that and have been. Um, but it's a real challenge for, for journalists. How do you decide when to uh, call someone a liar um, how, and how, how do you do it? In 2016, more time and energy and, and staffing power was spent on real-time fact-checking of presidential debates than ever before. And you know what? It didn't really matter because Trump won uh, and Trump lied a lot. And, and Clinton, you know, she stretched the truth some too. Um, and so I think it's up to journalists to figure out how to uh, get at that in a way that will stick with people. And I'm not sure we quite have the, the, the solution. I think some people are inclined to just reject mainstream media, lamestream media, whatever terminology they want to use. And so it's a matter of, you know, over time, teaching media literacy, preaching um, truth and trying to focus the conversation on real news rather than fake news. Yeah, I had a, a thought that I tweeted amidst all the chaos and pardon my French, but I did say, you know, we, we have shit posted our way here. We have taken a joke that has gone too far and a woman is dead and thousands of people have lost family members who believe this mass delusion. And it's a real cancer on not just democracy, but us as a people. And it's it's truly truly depressing to see what's happened and i don't know how we start rebuilding because it feels like the fever hasn't broken yet yeah and and you know to be honest it may take time it may be a generational slog um you know there are um, a lot of journalists i know go into classrooms i've spoken to colleges high schools middle schools even elementary schools like that's the issue we need to say Okay, we're going to kind of get through this to the extent we can, but we really got to look at, at, at young people uh, and, and make sure that they know how to consume news. And in many ways, they're going to be okay. I got two teenage daughters, and so I know all about Rinstas and Finstas, real Instagrams and fake Instagrams, and they do too, right? They're trying to keep their parents away from their um, social media use. And so they have an inherent, innate um, understanding, acceptance, and tolerance for social media um, but I think that there's this group of people that, that, that um, don't believe the media inexplicably. And, and not, not to get me wrong, I mean, the media, quote unquote, the media, journalists have made mistakes. Some journalists haven't corrected them quickly enough. That's totally different than uh, intentional uh, disinformation being floated by the likes of QAnon and uh, others, uh, other people um, of, the same, of the same mindset. Mm-hmm. And you also solicited some uh, written responses from the members of the congressional delegation from San Diego. Can you uh, rehash, uh, you know, what these individuals said about what it was like being under siege? Yeah, that was great. I, I was really appreciative of the five um, congressional leaders and their offices for working with us on a very, very tight timetable to turn those around. Uh, and I was pleased that we could publish all five of the uh members of the delegation's comments. They're, they range the gamut um, from, uh, you know, um, uh, Representative Levin saying that we need to find a better path, this can't stand, to uh, Scott Peters uh, explaining what it was like when the, the situation went haywire and, and how he was kind of sheltering in place, um, to Sarah Jacobs calling for Trump to be removed from office and uh, supporting the 25th uh, Amendment invocation. 
Um, Representative Vargas also weighed in with his own thoughts about what it was like in the moment for him. And then Representative Issa, the lone Republican among the local delegation, um, talked about how uh, all violence should be condemned, not just the violence of yesterday, but he brought in the violence um, from um, the, the summer uh, at, at cities throughout the nation. So an interesting uh, mix. Um, we've gotten a lot of letters about ISIS because a lot of people disagree with it. They thought they saw it as whataboutism. Um, and we've gotten a lot of letters on others and they, they all are, are popular and being widely read. I was looking at our analytics last night and uh, a lot of people were reading about uh, the sad story of the local woman who was killed in DC. Um, but the number two and three posts on our website were the editorial and I believe it was a Scott Peters uh, essay. So people were reading those. And I'm, I'm again, I'm grateful to the, to the staffs for, for turning them around in short order because I do think it's an important moment to check in with your local leaders who are there. They, did, they went to work not expecting the chaos that ensued. Um, and that's, you know, so it's their workplace that uh, was under attack. And so their voices, um, regardless of their politics, I think were all worth sharing. Mm-hmm. One of the takeaways that I had from yesterday is just how our institutions haven't kept up with the rapid pace of technology. You saw these people that stormed into the U.S. and functionally just made posts. They streamed on TikTok, on Instagram. They're they're posting on every social media. It was like they were continuing their internet shows while committing federal crimes. That's something that like wouldn't even have existed even like two years ago. How do our institutions, how can they adapt to this rapidly changing digital world that as we saw, you know, Congress was not able to really have a proper response to this? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think, you know, one of our editorials on tomorrow will focus on um, the Capitol Police and their inexplicable really failures to prevent this from happening and, and some of the issues about comparing this protest to other protests where, uh, let's be real, um, uh, law enforcement was all set to, to keep Black Lives Matter protesters uh, uh, under control. Uh, and there was nothing about control in, in this situation. To your point about the, 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 um, the rioters, the people who made it into uh, uh, the Capitol, it's almost like their goal wasn't to get into the Capitol. Their goal was to get in the Capitol and then get a picture of them with their crazy horned helmet in front of the, the, the chair uh, uh, on the floor. So it's like the goal in many ways was social media, which, you know, partly that's the medium is the message and all that. But I, I do think that there's something uh, uh, to that. And the answer is, I don't know what the answer is. I mean, the answer is don't let people into um, um, that building in that way right that is in many parts of that building is a public place but what happened yesterday um should not have been allowed to happen certainly and uh in 2014 i was covering congress for a summer and i've been in those places where uh our colleague at the la times uh sarah wire was hunkering down in the galleries and hearing that story reading that story it takes me back to being there and it's it's just it's a real psychic and almost spiritual attack in which this thing that America promises to be was invaded. And I don't think we're quite ready as a country to reckon what that means. Yeah, I, I think that's right. That's one of the questions we're asking today is, what does it mean for the country that this happened, right? It's, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's a workplace 
it's a it's a violent act against the workplace. And we're used to talking about that tragically when it happens at schools, when it happens at work at other workplaces, at workplaces that the rest of us frequent every day, offices, um, and, and the like. But this is this is literally the people's house, right? It's it's our house. We don't go there. You know, many of us have never been to Washington, DC, and those of us who are fortunate to to, to have been there and maybe as you said, work there. Um, smaller number of people, but those who go there every day, that's their, that's their place of, of, of employment. That should be a safe place for them, you know? Uh, and, and it wasn't, and, and what that means for our country, that's what we kind of got at when this is in our editorial, when the lead sentence is, this is the day democracy died. It's something we're all gonna have to grapple with. And it may be that this never happens again or doesn't happen again for 200 years. Um, it, 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 tough, tough knowing that, but it's if it happened once, it can happen again. Mm -hmm. And finally, um, as we begin this reckoning, what are some things that you would call on every American, regardless of if they like us or subscribe to us? What are the small things that we could do as a people to live up to the promise of the American dream? How do we start rebuilding our democracy? Yeah, well, you stole my thunder. I was gonna say like and subscribe below. Um, no, I think seriously, I think, and that was the kind of the, the kicker of our editorial. And actually, to, to the point about Joe Biden and what he said yesterday, right, was this is the moment for all of us to come together. And so it's hard to believe that that can happen. And clearly, the, the people who were in D.C. yesterday aren't interested in having a conversation uh, about this. They aren't interested in seeing things another way. But to the for the rest of us, we should be willing not to demonize another point of view just because we disagree with it. We should be able to have civil debate about issues, um, uh, and we should be able to collaborate and, and you know, to use the the cliche to reach across the aisle if we're in politics. And more importantly, just everyday people need to be um, not that we're you know um, singing kumbaya around a campfire, but to to be a little more um, receptive and, and responsive. Uh, about other viewpoints. There's not just one way to see the world. And clearly the country is really, really divided. I mean, people are comparing 2020 to 1968 to the years of the Civil War, um, you know, and uh, I think that's an accurate grouping, but I also think the country can't sustain that way forever, you know? Um, and, and so I think I would just say, you know, when I go into talk to journalism students, I say, read, read things outside your bubble. You know, if you are a liberal or a conservative, read writers from other points of view. Make sure that your own worldview is expansive and that you understand and walk a mile in a person's shoes. Early, early on, we've been critical of the president for, for years. And in 2016, we even started saying in some of our editorials, we are not criticizing the president's supporters, many of whom simply feel left out and left behind. We're criticizing the president the president's rhetoric, the president's actions. Ultimately, uh, much of this falls on him. As we said, his enablers are, are uh, should rightly be criticized, and their reputations should be ruined, frankly, uh, permanently. But but ultimately, it's the president's um, responsibility. And and hopefully, I think as we said in the editorial, the next two weeks are going to be perhaps the most nail biting of his whole uh, of his whole presidency. If it, what happened yesterday, maybe something happens like that again. We're all kind of waiting to see if he makes it to January 20th, how that inaugural ceremony will look. 
Mm-hmm, certainly. Yeah. And I think one of those first steps is, I, I guess the hardest thing you have to heal first is a willingness to agree on the same set of facts. And when we're there, we can start talking about our values, but that's kind of how deep the rod is at this point is that when people won't believe, you know, the sky is blue, I don't know what you can do. Yeah. Fair point. You know? All right. Matthew T. Hall. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, Daniel. Thank you for listening to the San Diego News Fix. If you're curious about how Greater San Diego is working toward building a new future, listen to the UT Salubis Cruise on Together San Diego. Join in on conversations with activists, nonprofits, and companies who are finding out ways this moment can change San Diego for the better. Listen in on Facebook. For a guide to all of our live streaming programming, check out the schedule on uniontrip.com. Until next time.